With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Bet this football season with my bookie. Use promo code Gators and get a 50% match with your first deposit. Only at my bookie. Gators Breakdown, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. And joining me for this episode, we are pre-recording this episode. So I usually say, usually on this episode, usually on this Monday night episode, but we are recording this on Sunday night. And there he is. Will Miles at Will Miles SEC and readreaction.com. I'm having to record this on Sunday night. I w- we'll put it out on Monday, so uh, we'll get into all of that. But I have to work uh, election coverage, Will, for the TV station Monday night and Tuesday night. So uh, it's uh, an avenue that I'm nowhere near uh, in- versed in <laughs> as college football. Uh, but you know, when you work for a TV station uh, in a independent local TV station, we, we-, we do our own election coverage. So... Uh, I'll be, I'll be all in the uh, politics Monday and Tuesday. Well, Donald Donald Trump and Joe Biden have ruined all of our lives for the past month in terms of getting like <laughs> cell phone text messages and all the commercials we have to watch and all that sort of stuff. So it's only appropriate that they'd ruin your life as well hey, for Monday hey, and Tuesday before the election. And hey, but this is why you get paid, right? There you go. And uh, kind of to extend that, uh, uh, working for a TV station, we love the political commercials because, believe me, it brings in a whole lots of money. So uh, pol- political commercials help, uh, help help fund our paychecks. Well, I, I suppose then I should give them a pass since I want you to remain employed and be able to, you know, support your family and eat and all that sort of stuff. But, uh, um, yeah, I think I think the vast majority of us are getting tired of it. We're ready for Tuesday oh, yeah. to be here. And all Gators fans are, are more than being ready for Tuesday to be over with, are ready for Friday to be over with. Because by the time that Missouri game ended, it was like, is it Saturday yet? Come on, yeah. let's go. As soon as the uh, clock hit zero on the, on the Missouri game, it was beat Georgia time. So. <laughs> it was about halfway through the third quarter. It was yeah, beat true. Georgia time, man. <laughs> uh, yeah, so as I said, we're, we're recording this, pre-recording this on Sunday night. So we'll see if the SEC says anything on, on, on Monday as far as uh, maybe possible suspensions for a Florida-Georgia game due to the uh, on-field fight right before or right during halftime uh, for Florida-Missouri. We'll see what happens there. SEC, I'm sure, will review it. Don't know if they'll release anything Monday, Tuesday. And that's exactly what happened. On Monday, the SEC did announce that uh, they were going to punish Florida. And uh, here we go. It was SEC issues player suspensions, head coach fine, and reprimand coming from the SEC. Greg Sankey had to say, 
There is no place in college football for the kind of incident that took place at halftime of the Missouri at Florida game Saturday night. Everyone involved is responsible for meeting sportsmanship standards throughout each game. Running onto the field to confront a game official, the gathering of teams in an on-field confrontation, and student-athletes throwing punches are all disappointing at any time, but even more so as we work to support healthy competition during a pandemic. So, the SEC, Florida head coach Dan Mullen has been issued a reprimand by the Southeastern Conference and fined $25,000 for violating SEC bylaws governing sportsmanship following Saturday's football game between Missouri and Florida. Fines levied against schools and individuals in the conference are directed into a fund supporting the SEC's postgraduate scholarship program. Immediately following the altercation on Saturday, Florida defensive lineman Zach Carter, linebacker Antoine Powell were ejected for the remainder of the game for fighting, and Missouri outside linebacker Trey Williams was ejected for a flagrant unsportsmanlike conduct foul. foul. According to the NCAA football playing rule 9.5.1.B, ejections for fighting carry an automatic half-game suspension for the succeeding game, which will, which will result in Carter and Powell serving suspensions for the first half of Florida's game against Georgia and Jacksonville on Saturday. So there we go. Carter Powell will also miss the first half of the Georgia game. So Missouri had some uh, suspensions in this as well, but of course we're looking at it from from a Florida perspective. So first half in Jacksonville, Florida, Georgia. Zach Carter won't be on the field. Of course, he's the one who's going to be the biggest impact here, uh, Antoine Powell as well. So we'll have more about that uh, later on in the week, but I did say, yeah, I just got through saying in the episode, if anything happened on Monday, I would add it in here. I did that. So enjoy the rest of the episode. Kind of have to let you know that we're not coming at you on a normal Monday night. So if the SEC does announce, uh, I'll try and input somewhere in the episode. Uh, if there is an update, I'll, I'll, I'll amend the episode somewhere along the way uh, to update that part of it. But as it stands right now, Will, as you and I are discussing it, we don't know what's going to come of the SEC when they review the, uh, the on-field fight at halftime. Well, I mean, you ruined my plan. I was going to come on here before you told everybody that we were pre-recording and start talking about, I can't believe they suspended Trask and you know, all that sort of stuff. But, it was like 25 yards away from, from it all. Yeah, I mean, you know, look, I, I went and I looked through all of the all the tape. I think, they, I think they ejected the right guys. I think there's a couple of guys they'll probably take a second look at. But, you know, based on melees that have happened in the past and sort of the the ramifications of what it means to the SEC. I mean, this is their marquee game this year because there really isn't a marquee game in the West with the way LSU's played and the mm-hmm. way Auburn has played. This is the marquee game in the SEC. You know, y- you hope that they would remain consistent in terms of the way that they punish people, but the SEC has not necessarily done that historically. And so I'm expecting to see both teams out there as full strength as they can be uh, because you know they want something where it's a 42 to 35 slugfest where CBS has the has the game going down right to the very end and it's a classic and the only way you do that is by having the right guys out there for both teams or the starters out there for both teams so i suspect they're probably going to go a little bit lenient maybe they they will probably go lenient on the on the punishments that might impact the game i think Dan Mullen's going to get a pretty good fine yeah i think so too i think i think, I think that's coming as well uh, all right, so we'll get into it. Uh, we'll go back and look at Will. Uh, you released a really good review of uh, Florida, Missouri. We'll take a look at that and say, you know, hey, look, we know best performance of the defense by far. Can a lot of that carry over uh, in, into the Georgia game? That's where we'll uh, get with that this week. And, you know, we'll take a look at where Florida is heading in, heading into the Georgia game, how it's 
very similar, Will, <laughs> to, the, to the last two years uh, when Dan Mullen's been head coach and heading into the Georgia game in very, very familiar territory for the Gators as they head in uh, to the cocktail parties. So remember, you can find Gators Breakdown at news4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. There you'll find all the Gators Breakdown episodes as well as News 4 Jacks coverage of the Gators. Please share, rate, and review the show. If you're watching on YouTube, hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button. It really helps us out here on Gators Breakdown. Or if you want the audio version, on-the-go version, check us out on your favorite podcast platform. And follow Gators Breakdown on social media. We're on Twitter and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. So there we go. Well, um, yeah, kind of want to hit on your article a bit. You showed a lot, then it was really important for us to – you know, really go back and look at, we know all the players that Florida was missing uh, heading into this game. And most of it was kind of just featured on the defense there, of course, because you had no Marco Wilson, no Donovan Steiner, uh, no Sean Davis. And we know Florida was going to be changing uh, probably a good bit from the Texas A&M performance and being off for a couple of weeks and all those things combined you know, a lot, there was, wasn't a whole lot of confidence out there. A lot of people wanted to see some different players out there just because they didn't think it would be any worse because it was, let's admit, it was, it was pretty bad. We, we discussed how bad the, three, the first three games looked. You get some younger players out there, and you and I kind of agreed to the point, look, it all started up front anyway. It don't, to me, it doesn't really matter who was going to be back there all too much. I was, don't get me wrong, I was impressed by what we saw from some of those young guys back there uh, that we've just kind of been wanting to see so far in the season anyway. But it started up front. I still think it could have been Marco. I still think it could have been Steiner. I still think it could have been Sean Davis back there. We probably get really close to the same result just because of how that defensive front was playing. Yeah, I mean, I think the first caveat is this is Missouri, right? And and we knew yep. that Basilak is relatively young. We know Grantham tends to succeed against young quarterbacks who have limited experience, and so that trend continues. Um, you know, I, I think the DBs played very, very well. I, I don't think you could take anything away from them. I think there are plays, though. The one I'm thinking of in particular is the one down on the goal line where uh, Missouri settled for a field goal and then missed the field goal. They had a guy wide open at the sticks because there was a miscommunication by the cornerbacks. And the reason that the pass was incomplete is because Bazelock got flushed from the pocket by Jeremiah Moon, somebody that I had criticized earlier in the week. And then he came to play, and he he got a lot of pressure last night and was able to was able to for the entire defensive line was able to force Basilak to be uncomfortable. When he was uncomfortable, he was off target. When he was off target, even if the DBs weren't in the perfect spot, they were still able to get to where they needed to go. Now, I mean, again, that play in particular jumps to mind in terms of them um, leaving somebody wide open and Missouri just not being able to take advantage of it. There was the play right down the middle of the field where it hit the guy right in the hands and he dropped it and it should have been a touchdown. So it's not as though this was a game where the defensive backs had no flaws. But that's also not what we're asking for, right? We're not asking for a defense that has no flaws. We're asking for a defense that can get two, three, four stops a night. And that's usually enough for the offense. It's interesting. This was a game where, you know, when that pass got dropped, that would have been a touchdown. It would have been 14 to six, I think, at that point. And all of a sudden, you know, the home crowd gets a little bit nervous and the offense maybe starts pressing. Instead, they're able to put up those two touchdowns there at the end of the half after the defense got some big stops, and then it's 20-6 to six going into halftime, put up a touchdown on the first drive afterwards, and the game's basically over. 
Yeah, and, and as we said, you know, Will, you went and detailed it uh, really good. And I'll switch to, to screens here to, to go to your article. And, man, the first point you point out, and uh, I really liked it, was, you know, I tweeted before the game kind of jokingly. Everything was kind of starting to filter out a, a, a little bit. And I was like, man, I'm, I'm kind of glad Rashad, Rashad Torrance got a little bit of playing time in that first game versus Ole Miss. And, and there we go early in the game where, he, you know, a, a Missouri receiver – catches the ball that you know it's the in, it's the inside receiver Torrance is playing off of him a bit and you, you see that a lot you, you're not pressing up on that inside receiver that slot receiver uh, a, a whole lot but comes up great makes a great close makes a great tackle and the, look, those were the type of plays we've been wanting to see if a guy is going to go catch a ball go up there make a hit make a tackle don't let him go get free yards and you know Missouri's offense lives off of that the short through the middle short the intermediate throws break one tackle or you're out running the DB already. That didn't happen a whole lot. Florida limited the big plays, but look, this was in the red zone right here and Torrance comes up and makes a big tackle. So young player getting some play in time because of the, the situation Florida's in and he shows up in the spotlight. Yeah, I mean, they clearly told the DBs be aggressive and if you make a mistake, that's okay. And, and I think that's probably what they needed to instruct the DBs. In fact, I think that's what they need to instruct some of the veteran DBs is don't worry about what the guy next to you is doing. Do your job. Do it aggressively. Do it as hard as you can. That play three weeks ago against Texas A&M, the wide receiver breaks the tackle and goes for a first down. I mean, that's, that's just what happened last week on those sorts of plays. Because the defensive back wasn't as aggressive as Torrance was last night, Torrance was really aggressive, got up there, made the tackle. If he'd have missed the tackle, I suspect that Brad Stewart probably would have gotten over yeah. and stopped him before he got a first down. But part of that is because of the aggressiveness that Torrance had, right? Getting there, making the guy sort of jump out of the way, change directions, allows time for other guys to get there. Obviously, he brought him down, and so that wasn't necessary, but... I think the aggressiveness that we saw out of the defensive backs is really the thing that I sort of take away from the game when it comes to them. And, and I think that's one of the things that's been missing, right? I mean, it's not that they're playing 10 yards off the line of scrimmage. It's that when the ball gets thrown, they're not firing up to make the tackle. And they're getting – and at least the first three games of the year, the, the tackle wasn't being made. The guys were getting first downs pretty easily. In this game, it was a lot more difficult for Missouri to get first downs, 3 of 15 on third downs, and a lot of that is attributable to, to the defensive backs being a little bit more aggressive, making the quarterback hold the ball an extra beat, and then the defensive line actually being able to get home. Yeah, well, and then you you brought up third down, so uh, I'll go ahead and go into it as a feature I was going to uh, bring to bring to the table here for, for this episode. And look, it, it has been an issue, and I'll go back to last week a bit. And as I said, you know, there was one thing we could give Grant some credit on, and you brought it up as well, for his time at Florida, and that's giving young, inexperienced quarterbacks issues so far. He did that versus Connor Basilak. And look, prior to Missouri's final two drives, by which that time Florida was leading 41-10, to 10, the Gators were, you know, pretty far into the depth chart uh, on defense. You know, and Florida just allowed 172 total yards before those uh, final two Missouri drives there and had not given up a touchdown. Missouri's offense before that so playing much better uh, up until you know Florida started getting some even younger and in, in, in even more inexperienced guys out there on the field uh, late in the game so going to the third down Florida limited Missouri to three third down conversions on 15 attempts 20% will Missouri averaged 7.9 yards to go on third down will the game 3.3 so it was the type of performance uh, that we needed to see from a defense. Heading into the Georgia game, it happened. Missouri, in the last two games since Basilak took over, was 19-35 of 35 on third down for 54% conversion percentage. 
Florida was giving up 59% of third down chances going into the Missouri game. Missouri was held to 20%. So I'm going to go through the third downs right quick, Will. Uh, just to refresh, you know, here's you know every third down. There's some big plays. Um, you know, there's some big plays here uh, by this defense. So first one, um, third and nine, pass falls incomplete. Third and two, convert with a round tree run of three. So that was the, that was the first third down conversion. It was third and two, Roundtree runs for three. You know, not giving up a big play, but they converted third down. Third and five, quarterback hurry by Cox and Carter. Third and nine, Basilak no gain. Third and nine, pass goes eight yards where Amari Bernie makes a tackle short of the sticks. Third and three, um, they get this one that's not counted in the stat sheet, but they get that one as Elam's call for a, a cheap uh, defensive hold there. <laughs> that uh, really wasn't a uh, really wasn't a hold there. And then a third and 28 uh, screen goes for 15 yards for Missouri. The third and one, a loss of four and a fumble recovered by Florida. Third and 10, a screen for one yard. Third and two, Kyrie Campbell gets a tackle uh, for a loss of four. Third and 11, Jeremiah Moon gets a sack. Third and 10, a pass of uh, 10 yards. So that's for second conversion. Third and one, Cox credited with a quarterback hurry. Basilite throws incomplete. Third and seven, pass goes only for five yards. Third and 13, pass goes for 15. That was our third conversion uh, of the game. And then the last one, third and two, Jalen Lee uh, causes a loss of seven with a strip sack of Basilite. Will Coxon recovers uh, in the fumble. So, Will, man, it, it just shows me the Gators, and going back to our first point, Gators did a much better job of tackling. You, you're going back and, and watching Missouri loves that catch short intermediate route lives off yards after the catch uh and with men down for florida you know we're able to play an aggressive style tackle really well especially on third down to stop many of these shorter to sticks yeah i mean the thing you really noticed was the gang tackling that the guys were getting their five six seven guys once they once they got somebody stopped up right after the play we talked about earlier with torrance the next down missouri tried to run right up the middle um, Vinchel Miller was there sort of the, for the initial tackle, very aggressively coming up and meeting the running back in the hole. But then he had four or five of his guys who were, uh, who were helping him get, him get the running back down at that point. And that's something we haven't seen over the, over the course of the season. There's been a lot of guys sort of hanging back, letting their teammates do the tackling, and sometimes those tackles have been run through, and that's not what we saw. The other thing is, is that we, we talked about this, I think, earlier in the week, that Florida's defense traditionally over the last couple of years has had a quarter where they've just absolutely shut down the opposing offense. And we hadn't seen – and it's never been a consistent defense. This has not been – you know, those defenses under Muschamp and even under McIlwain where they still had Muschamp's players, there were some times where the defense was just unbelievable and there was nothing that the opposing offense could do against it. That has not been the calling card for, for Grantham defenses under, under Mullen. What has been the calling card is having at least a quarter where they've shut down an opponent, and that came back against Missouri. You could see it. They had 88 yards in the first quarter, then 30 yards in the second quarter, and then four yards in the third quarter. So 34 yards in the second and third quarter on offense for Missouri. In the meantime, Florida had 171 yards in the second quarter and 125 yards in the third quarter. So you got 300 yards um, of offense for Florida to 34 for Missouri. That's where the game was won, right? I mean, just being able to, to put it on them there in those two quarters, pull away. The first quarter was relatively even. The fourth quarter, I mean, you know, at that point, nobody really cared. But that second and third quarter, the defense really put its dug its heels in, got the ball back to, to the Florida offense consistently, and then Florida's offense finally was able to sort of put it in gear and, and put Missouri away. And that was a big worry of mine, Will, going back to last week. I was like, how would this Florida defense hold up in the fourth quarter? You know, offenses can get by uh, a bit with being on the field a good bit. You know, they're 
whatever, you know, more conditioned. You, you can control the game on offense. If your defense is out there a whole lot, they're, they're getting tired of uh, of going out there and tackling. And I think we, we saw a byproduct of that, you know, being able to play so well in second and third quarter. And as I'm saying, you built a lead where it didn't really matter what happened in the fourth quarter because you, you, you built that lead. It didn't matter if you were going to wither away because of post-COVID symptoms or, or just not, you know, being in the right conditioning because of being off for two weeks. I mean, yeah, dominating second and third quarter there uh, for the Gators built it where the fourth quarter, like you said, didn't even really matter. Well, and we've talked a little bit about how Mullen has relied on the passing game in the third and fourth quarters of second halves against Texas A&M and against South Carolina. I think it kind of bit him a little bit. He reversed course yesterday against Missouri. So they had 11 rush attempts in the first half, 26 pass attempts. In the second half, they had 24 rush attempts and 10 pass attempts. Now, granted, Florida was ahead, but Florida's been ahead in a lot of these games and hasn't necessarily Mm -hmm. put the ball in the hands of its running backs or in this case you know letting trash grip off 25 yard runs but at the same time they were willing to hand it off to the running backs willing to allow you know to have drives where they were going to say hey this isn't going to be something where we're explosive going down the field we're going to give our defense a little bit of a blow and i think that helps the other thing is is that the defense just got some confidence i mean when you're giving up a touchdown every time the opposing offense has the ball and there were a few times against Texas A&M where Florida actually covered the third downs pretty well and Mond made good throws and they were able to get the conversion, but you could sort of feel sort of the confidence just eking out of the Florida defense at that point in the, in those, in the game against A&M. And you actually felt like, at least I felt like they were a little bit tentative in the first quarter. Uh, we already mentioned the drop deep pass. They gave up 88 yards. They let them drive down the field and then had the missed field goal. They did have a three and out to open up the game, but you know, they still felt a little bit tentative. In the second quarter, you could tell that they basically knew Missouri couldn't do anything against them. And at that point, they got much more aggressive. They got much more pressure. Um, they really made Basilak feel uncomfortable. And it looked a lot more like the defense from last year than it has the last the last couple of games. Now, you know, Missouri, I don't know that we know whether they're any good or not. I mean, LSU just got demolished by Auburn this week, which makes you wonder, you know, that shootout that Missouri had with LSU – is that really indicative of of that they have a decent offense? I mean, LSU just made Bo Nix look like a good quarterback. So, yeah. um, you know, you don't know, right? I mean, it could be that Missouri just got a little bit lucky, a little bit of a hot streak, plays Kentucky, plays LSU. We think that's a pretty decent win, but Kentucky can't score at all. And, and LSU doesn't look like they're very good. So maybe Missouri's just not a very good team, and Florida will be exposed next week against Georgia. But – you know, you got to start somewhere. And, you know, South Carolina wasn't a very good team, and we couldn't stop them. So, so you got to start with the guy who's in front of you. Much better defensive performance. Like you mentioned, the pick six that Trash threw was the only touchdown they gave up other than in the fourth quarter when the game was already in doubt. So it's not something where you're like, well, they gave up 24 points. Is Missouri really that good or something like that? It's like, nah, they, they gave up 10. And, and even then it was – a cheap you know, 10. It was a cheap 10, though. Yeah. The the fact that uh, the Drinkwitz kicked a field goal with, yeah. like, what, like seven minutes left or something in the fourth quarter, down however much they were, I was like, ah, like, we, we found the new Will Muschamp, buddy. <laughs> that did surprise me a bit, too, uh, given, his, given his background, too. So, I mean, Will, I mean, three sacks, two fumbles, all, you know, all because more of a, an aggressive play, you know, pressuring Missouri in the turnovers as well. Uh, that, that happened, and look, I didn't expect it. I mean, look, I, I talked about it. I brought it up a whole lot that, hey, the return of Kyrie Campbell, it is going to help the Gators. There was no doubt about it. I didn't I didn't expect the results right away. And as you said, maybe Missouri kind of 
them themselves help helps a little bit here. But Campbell comes back, make makes makes some big plays. You can see eat, eat some eat some double teams as well. Linebacker play was a little bit better to to, to open up uh, some lanes for for them to make some hits. Britton Cox surely seemed to benefit. Jeremiah Moon certainly seemed to benefit. You have three players. Uh, let me look and even I mean is even kind of going back to maybe some things we even saw before Zachary Carter one of his bigger plays was when he was on the inside and I know we said he's better outside but one of his better plays of the game was when he was inside uh, I think on it was the muffed or fumbled hand, the fumbled handoff where he kind of just pushed a guy uh, in the back and that was from the inside there so what I'm kind of going back to is you know, going getting Kyrie Campbell back even for somebody like Zachary Carter who can play inside and outside and when he's played asked to play inside well look he's not as worn out as he's going to be with Kyrie Campbell out there because he doesn't have to be on the field as much. So when he's out there, you get a fresh, you get a fresh player out there. So if he is on the inside, at least you're getting a fresh player on the inside and they can move him to outside if they absolutely had to. So yeah, the the, the benefit of having Kyrie Campbell, we, we saw it. We saw it from the get go. We saw it from game one that he came back. Yeah. I mean, I think Campbell obviously made a big difference, but I think part of it was, just aggressiveness. I mean, Jeremiah yeah. Moon was a lot more aggressive. They also didn't have Moon lining up at Buck as much as they did at linebacker, which is a little bit different. So they had a lot of four-man fronts, and then they were blitzing Moon, sort of gave him a head start. And then when he got to the guard, he was able to get past the guard on on, on the play I'm thinking of in particular um, and, and get to Basilak or at least get into Basilak's shorts to where he, where he was inaccurate. And that was a little bit of a schematic change. Typically, they've had Jeremiah Moon up on the line of scrimmage. In this case, they had him a couple of yards back, allowing him to get a running start. Much more aggressive in terms of in terms of going after the going after the quarterback. You know, Brenton Cox got fooled a little bit on the first reverse that I think went for 32 yards to Knox, but then was right there later on in the game when they tried to run it again, held contain and was able to to get the tackle. You mentioned obviously having another fresh body in there makes a difference. And I don't know that any of us ever thought that Zach Carter was better on the outside than he was on the inside. Yeah. What you really noticed is that, or what I really noticed is that Kyrie Campbell was coming out on third downs. And so Campbell was helping with the run game on first down and second down. Then they brought him out, brought in Carter on third downs to be on the inside. And so they had a bunch of pass rushers out there. And that's one of the things that. If you're third and two, third and three, you can't do that, right? Third and seven, third and eight, you can bring out a guy like Kyrie Campbell who's big and say, hey, I'm going to bring in a guy who's more of a pass rusher, put him on the inside. You know, Cox had five tackles, one tackle for loss. Moon, six tackles, a sack, one and a half tackles for loss. Slayton, four tackles, a sack, and a tackle for loss. Um, and then Carter was only in for a half, obviously, but had a half a sack as well and a quarterback hurry. Cox had three quarterback hurries. So... You know, the uh, the defensive line was a big reason why Florida's defense looked a lot better. I think a lot I think some of that has to do with Kyrie Campbell. I think some of that is they were probably tired of of being told we gotta bring a blitz because you guys can't get to the quarterback and they sort of <laughs> decided they were gonna prove they could get there. And it helps that Missouri is not uh <laughs> is not Georgia. So that's the big thing is you know, we're we're looking at one game. It's great mm-hmm. that we've got a data point that isn't terrible because we have three data points that are. But the question is, you know, is it a straight line? Did they get that much better over a couple of weeks off? Or did we just have an opponent who's not that great? Now, the other thing I do think we need to take into account is all the starters who were missing and the fact that they didn't have a whole lot of time to practice and mm-hmm. they still came out with extra energy, extra, 
um, and, and were for the most part in the right position at the right time, which means that they were paying attention in meetings. And, you know, we even saw this with the 2008 team, loses to Old Miss, sort of refocuses them, and all of a sudden the team plays better. Sometimes that loss is what's necessary. And maybe, you know, oh, we gave up 30 points to Old Miss, but who cares because we scored 50 anyway. Yeah. Um, you know, and you can have that sort of attitude. But the minute you lose that game where you had an 11-point lead going into late in the third quarter and, and you lose the game, well, okay, now we're going to actually have to pick it up. And maybe that's something hey, well, that happened you, over the last you, couple of weeks. You lose it and have to stew over it for three weeks. <laughs> yeah, you know. So, well, and, and you'd mentioned this repeatedly over the last couple of weeks is that the Missouri game was going to probably be sort of an indication as to whether the team came close together or whether the team was going to start to fracture. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the team obviously is is pretty together based on the way they reacted there at the end of the first half. Um, that's the kind of thing that can also galvanize a team as well. And, and you know, everything's in front of them. That's the thing is that because Georgia had to play Alabama and Florida gets to avoid the tide and LSU doesn't look like they're very good this year, Florida isn't going to have to play another ranked team after they play Georgia, and Georgia mm. doesn't have to play another ranked team after they play Florida. And so this is it. I mean, this is the Super Bowl, the SEC East. If you can't get up for that, and you can't get up the week before to make sure that you get yeah. to have that that opportunity, then then I don't know what to tell you. And and clearly, Florida was juiced for the game. They were ready. They were kind of tired of hearing about how they hadn't stopped anybody. And, and hey, kudos. Hats off to them, because you can't ask for much more than having a third quarter where you give up four yards. Absolutely, it's just a far cry from what we saw the first three games. So it's uh, any any improvement. It didn't matter who the opponent was. Was is it was welcome. Was welcome. And they gave up point six yards per play in the third quarter, and only had seven plays. So I mean, it was a lot of three and outs. So yeah, true, true. Uh, anything else about the defense? Well, before we switch to gears to the offense. No, I don't think so. I mean, just I mean, again, I think congratulations. To, oh yeah, yeah. One thing is that they only gave up one explosive play. Oh yeah, and, that's right. And, there you go. You know, for a team that just got absolutely torched by Ole Miss, you know, deep throw after deep throw after deep throw, there was the one that should have been caught. There was the reverse that went for 32 yards. Other than that, they didn't give up any plays that were more than 20 yards in the entire game. So you mentioned the fact that it was third and eight, third and nine, an awful lot. Yeah. But it's it's not as though, um, you know, on first down they were going for 25 yards and there was some guy running wide open in the secondary. That didn't happen. And you know, you, you had. You had even walk-ons in the in the secondary who were playing man-on-man coverage and doing a pretty good job. So, a, a very very good job by Grantham getting the team ready to play and the team going out there with a solid attitude and getting the job done. All right. Before we switch gears to the offense, ever since I started Gators Breakdown, people have been asking me who's going to win, and a lot of the time, what team they should bet on. Well, the best piece of advice is where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. That's why I always tell people to visit my bookie. They've got deposit matches, free bets, and huge cash prizes for you to take advantage of all season long. NFL action, they got it. College football, they have that too. Plus, a mobile-friendly website and top-of-the-line customer service, making their platform a one-stop shop for all your betting needs. My bookie offers action on everything from championship futures to NFL in-game live betting. Make sure you're covered every step of the way. Sign up at MyBookie today, and when you do, use our promo code GATERS to claim a halfway match on your deposit. If you put in $200, they will spot you another 100 to play with. It's a bonus designed to give you a little help and a head start on your winning season. That's promo code GATERS so you can claim your bonus when you make your deposit. Sign up today to begin your winning season only at MyBookie. Well, let's talk offense a little bit. And 71 plays. For this Gators uh, to Missouri 63 here 
514 yards for the Gator offense, 248 for Missouri. Gators, 16.4 yards per completion. Missouri, only eight, so Florida pretty much doubled them there. 7.2 yards per play for the Gators. Missouri, 3.9. Will really the only hitch on the, on the offense. Talked about it the last episode uh, with with Graham and Nick. A little bit of a slow start, but also 4-13 uh, on third down. But look, 6-6 six six in the red zone. Florida keeps that uh, 100% uh, on the season uh, there. Missouri was only two of three, only three trips into the red zone there. Um, and uh, Missouri had no sacks uh, on Florida. Now, of course, still got some pressure, still made Trask run around a bit, hit him, caused a fluttering interception uh, there, but, you know, no sacks uh, that given up there. So interesting, uh, you know, kind of domination uh, by this Gator, by this, by, by this Gator offense and, well, it just continues <laughs> for Kyle Trask and some of these numbers he's putting up here. 18 touchdown passes to the first four games this season. Set an SEC record for most passing touchdowns to the first four games of the season. And then with four touchdown passes, Trask became the first quarterback of school history to throw for at least four touchdown passes in four consecutive games. Well, I mean, it, every week we're getting some stat like that <laughs> from Kyle Trask to where he's just uh, improving upon uh, his play here. Man, it's just it, it's for years after futility where we were lucky if a if a if a quarterback was getting that st- those kind of stats for a whole season. Kyle Trask has four games, and there we go. I mean, we 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 we, we see it every week now. It's nothing new. He threw for 345 yards, four touchdowns, and his quarterback rating went down. <laughs> like, like that to me says something about how good he's been playing. That his QB rating is now at 189.2. It was like at 194 before the game, or something like that. So, um, yeah, I mean, Trask obviously has played really well. I think one of the things that was encouraging there was a play I highlighted in my article where he hit a check down to Pierce. Um, you know, and, that, and Pierce that, looked like Tony for a play. <laughs> he did, but you know, the, the thing is, is that they've got guys who have the ability to do that. You know, when you think about Naquan Wright, when you think about Malik Davis, and and Damian Pierce seems to have gotten a lot better catching the ball out of the backfield as well. You know, we've talked, they they still focus on Pitts and Tony, and rightfully so. Mm -hmm. And in fact, Kadarius Tony is becoming the go-to guy at this point. It's it's no longer Kyle to Kyle is the the thing that you look for. I mean, you look for it on third down, but when when they get in the red zone now, it's pretty much, hey, give the ball to Tony and let him make 17 guys miss and and then go for the touchdown. The thing I thought was a little bit encouraging is Copeland had a couple of catches. They were trying to get the ball to Trevon Grimes. Those are guys they're going to have to get going, especially against a team like Georgia, where if Georgia decides to bracket uh, bracket Tony and then bring Pitts, you know, have a have a safety up. Now, obviously, they've got some issues on their side in, in terms of uh, in terms of some of the guys who are going to be available at, at Georgia. But they probably more than anybody have an athlete who can help with pits and you could at least think about single coveraging having single coverage on pits you you bracket tony you're going to need guys like grimes and copeland and shorter and malik davis to step up in that particular instance so i thought it was a good thing that they were attempting to get the ball there um, i'm not quite sure about that offensive pass interference call on grimes i think maybe no. uh 
maybe that one was uh, one the official would like to have back. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. We could say, there, there is no superlative you can bring out for Trask anymore. Mm-hmm. I, I wrote an article about him late last week that sort of looked at the places that he had um, – that he'd made a progression. And the thing that I said that he needed to really improve on to take that next step was to start hitting those checkdowns. And what does he do in the first quarter? Hits a check down to Pierce. <laughs> All of a sudden it's in the red zone. They struggled a little bit when they got in the red zone. Yeah. They're, they're still not getting push up front when it comes to being able to run the ball. You saw Josh Braun in there late in the game. Right. And I do wonder whether they're going to start thinking about rotating him in more, particularly when they feel like they want to run the ball. They're just not getting the kind of push that they need up front. But uh, they're able to run the ball outside. They're able to get the ball to Tony and let him play in space. Uh, they're able to get the ball to Pitts just about any time they want to on third down. And, and I think more importantly, Trask almost always is thrown to the open receiver. Like the touchdown pass to Tony where he was just wide open behind the defensive back. Tony, you know, people have, have tweeted out and I think have focused on, and I know it was on like SportsCenter's top plays, the play where he broke the tackle where the guy was coming up behind his head and, and, and went in for the touchdown. I don't think that was his most impressive footwork. His most impressive footwork was getting himself open on the touchdown pass, you know, from like the tw- from 25 yards out or 30 yards out right after the turnover. He absolutely just broke the ankles of the defensive back who had him one-on-one. He faked out and then immediately changed direction. And that's the kind of thing that I think NFL scouts are going to look at. They're going to want him to go down in the NFL <laughs> when he's surrounded by people. They're just going to try to teach him that to keep him healthy. The thing that he can do is he changes direction so fast and and goes from zero to one hundred so fast when he changes direction that the defensive back just didn't have a chance. And, and but Trask sees it immediately. He recognizes one on one coverage. I've got Tony out there. Tony's going to be able to shake his guy. That's where I'm going. And and it's an easy pitch and catch. So, you know, Trask. Can, can, can we send him to Kansas City with Mahomes? Man, you imagine how fun that would be. Oh, Tony. Tony, yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I. I uh, I want to see. I don't want to see him on Kansas City with Mahomes. Like it, it wouldn't be fair at that point. Let's let's put him someplace where he It'd be can. Fun uh, though. Uh, well, that's true. That's true. And and you know, I, I don't think that Tony is going to be a number one receiver in the NFL. No, no, He's just no, not no, big no. enough. But no. that skill, the ability to separate, and you know, I've been asked by a few people, why is it that Trevon Grimes isn't getting the ball as much, or why is it that Justin Shorter is not getting the ball that much? Part of it is is that even in one-on-one coverage, those guys are struggling to separate. Those back shoulder throws, it's not as though they're stopping so quickly that the defender's not there. Part of the reason you get that offensive pass interference penalty, and granted, I don't agree with the call, but part of the reason you get it is that is that it just takes Grimes a couple of steps to break down and and have that sort of separation. When it comes to Pitts and when it comes to Tony, those guys are able to stop on a dime. That back shoulder throw is a lot more effective. So, um, you know, th- those are the guys. They're the guys who are going to have to make a difference next week. I mean, if Kadarius Tony has one catch for nine yards next week and Pitts has like four catches for 30 yards, Florida's probably in a lot of trouble because that means they've been forced to rely on some of these guys who've sort of been a part of the offense but haven't been key to it. On the other hand, you know, Canarius Tony's now up to 22 catches for 297 yards and six touchdowns um, <laughs> and really has been excelling over the last couple of games, been an integral part of the offense, and, and I expect that to continue. Yeah, going to your point there, Kadarius Tony six touchdown receptions this season are double his career scrimmage touchdowns entering the season. So, <laughs> I mean, yeah, we've seen the improvement there. Uh, also eclipsed his previous season high for receiving yards, 260 in 2018, uh, in, in four games uh, there. So Pitts uh, with seven, Tony and six have already matched Florida's two 2019 leaders in receiving touchdowns. Freddie Swain led uh, the 2019 Gators with seven, while Van Jefferson had six. So 
I mean, well, yeah, you got two weapons there, of course. And, and look, I, I get it. And I tried to at the end of last week when there was a whole stink on Twitter about why other players aren't getting the ball. Well, first of all, it starts with running more plays. And we hadn't seen that necessarily since the South Carolina game. I mean, no, since the uh, Ole Miss game. Uh, so when, when you run over 70 plays, well, this game, 71 plays for the Gators. And, you know, everyone wanted other players besides Pitts and Tony to, to get their chance. And what has to happen for them, too, to, to get those chances is to run 70 plays a game. Uh, so, I mean, Pitts and Tony are the guys. Uh, but getting more guys in, in involved is what happens, is, is what you can do when you run seven plays. Seven different players caught a pass, coping with the, uh, with the longest catch of the game for 36 yards. Uh, Gators had five different receivers with their longest catch being at least 30 yards. Coping with 36 yards, Pierce with a 34-yarder, Pitts with a 32-yarder, Tony with a 30-yarder, Davis with a 30-yarder. And then you had nine players run the ball. And kind of going to one of our points where the where we nitpicked the offense and they could improve a bit. Kyle Trask had the longest run in the game with a 26 yarder. So we eventually we have got to see your running back start hitting some 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 chunk run plays. But still, will I mean seven different players caught a pass, nine different players ran the ball. That's what's got. That's what happens if you want other players to get involved. You saw the the uh, the the benefit of a defense playing better being able to make an offense go three and out or, or getting off the field for, for for third downs you get your offense back to ball they run 71 plays more guys get the ball yeah i mean so the thing i think you want to look at when you're thinking about the ball getting spread around is was tony open and were and was pitts open when the ball got thrown their way and if he's forcing the ball into double coverage, which we saw him against Old Miss, he forced one into double coverage with Pitts, where Pitts had to snatch it in the end zone. He forced it into double coverage a few times against Texas A&M, where he had other options and didn't do it. He didn't do that in this game. In this game, when the guy was open, he threw it. And sometimes that was Grimes. Sometimes that was Copeland. Sometimes that was Davis. Sometimes that was Tony. Sometimes that was Pitts. Now, Tony and Pitts are the ones who can take the ball, and, and, and especially Tony can take the ball and take it to the house. But you know, at the same time, like if Grimes is the guy where the ball needs to go to, that's where it went last night. So, um, the, you know, Missouri actually did a pretty decent job of coverage. There were a few plays back there where, where Trask had plenty of time and wasn't able to find mm-hmm. anybody. Obviously, early in the game, the offensive line struggled a little bit to protect him, and uh, and you had the, the pick six on the ball that got fluttered. Though I will say on that play, Tony had burned the guy yeah. who had him one-on-one just as bad on that play, and it was going to be a touchdown if Trask had gotten that ball off too. So, um, you know, th- that'll be interesting because one of the things that Georgia really struggled with with Jalen Waddell was being able to prevent that big play and those big plays for Alabama really turned the tilt in that game it's a a little bit different way like Tony doesn't Tony's not the guy who's going to take it 80 yards because the defensive back can catch up to him because his straight line speed really isn't all that impressive compared to other guys who are out there the difference is is that he can get open against anybody one-on-one like he just has the ability to stop and plant and change directions faster than anybody so the places where they struggled in the red zone, um, I would not be surprised. You know that play New England runs where Edelman comes out and sort of mm. bakes inside and then goes outside? Yep. Like yep. That's the kind of play I think they should install for Tony down in the red zone, not that fade they threw that got knocked down. I think they you know, utilize the fact that he has the ability to make the defensive back go in the wrong direction and that he can stop himself quickly. I would love it if they'd run that play next week where you just have him fake inside and then, and then head out into the flat. And if he's one-on-one down the red zone, that's going to be a touchdown every time. Well, Will, let me find it. I had just posted. You're talking red zone. I had just posted a red zone stat for Florida, Georgia. 
I was looking through some notes here, so let me go back and see if I can find it. I was going to save that for the uh, for the preview episode, but I already went ahead and put that on Twitter. So yeah, here we go. Um, getting into the red zone will be beneficial for Florida if they can do it. Georgia's defense has only given up seven red zone trips in five games. Very, very good. But the opponents have scored on all seven that they've that that uh, on that Georgia defense. The opponent has scored on all seven trips uh, to the red zone. Florida's offense has scored on every red zone possession so far. So there's a trend uh, in Florida's favor now. Hopefully, it's better than the last game for early on. You had to settle for two field goals. If you're playing Georgia, you get in the red zone, you get that opportunity, you've got to score touchdowns. Because you go back and look at the game in the last couple of years, Will, and you know Florida has fall, fallen behind, uh, of course, and had to fight their way back to, to, to make a game of it. And there you go. You could, Going back to your point, and you look at maybe you get something with Kadarius Tony in the red zone uh, to, to get something going. But, you know, hopefully <laughs> this is the game where the, the, the running game kind of takes over. The, the running game is not going to have a whole lot of yards versus Georgia. I'd be completely surprised if they do. But can they pick up enough yards to set up third and short? Or can they pick up enough yards to convert third down? Can they pick up enough yards in the red zone to make those trips to the red zone a whole lot easier? So if Florida gets to the red zone, I mean, you know, they don't they don't live and die by the red zone. But they do really good when they get there. But the offense isn't living or dying by it. This game, will it? Uh, if you can get there, Georgia has shown for that great defense that they have, that is one struggle issue. That is one struggle point for them. Yeah, I mean – you know, I, I think we're talking about limited sample sizes in terms of exactly. the number of times. Yeah. In terms of the number of times people have gotten down there, I, I think we also have to factor in who they've played. I think Arkansas has been better than people expected, but that's a team that Georgia should handle well, or should handle pretty easily, and did when you factor in the second half. There, at least, was able to dispatch them in the second half. I think we were surprised at how much they were able to sort of hold Auburn down. But then again, we've seen Bo Nix really struggle this year, and that's not necessarily a huge surprise. They gave up 21 points to Tennessee. Tennessee's been pretty awful this year. Um, they had some big passes, Tennessee did. Absolutely. And, you know, Guarantano is 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 notorious for missing that when the opportunity <laughs> pops up. So the fact that he hit it and, and you know, 21 points to, to Tennessee, I don't know how impressive that is. They gave up 41 to Alabama, a lot of big plays in that one. But, uh, you know, also the offense turning the ball over early for Georgia that sort of allowed Alabama to kind of get its footing. And then Kentucky, I don't know what to make of Kentucky because they can't throw the ball at all. And obviously uh, Florida's a little bit different. I mean, if you, so I hear what you're saying about the red zone, but I think the better metric in terms of where teams are is looking at their yards per play. I think when you look at points scored – Oh, absolutely. That okay. was just one. That was just one little point. <laughs> yep. So, but I mean, that's actually a place where I think is it's really relevant to look at it, though. So, last year Georgia was second in defense, four point one yards per play. This year, they're eighth at four point three. So, four point one to four point three. They haven't really changed very much. But the Florida offense last year was twenty second, six point two yards per play. This year, seven point four. They're fifth, and they're Ooh. right up there with Alabama. So. If you think about it, last year's game's 24-17. I don't think the game was really that close. I think Georgia really controlled that game. At the same time, one of the reasons they controlled that game is Florida didn't have any sort of explosion and wasn't really able to convert third downs. They got into Georgia territory a few times, and then mm-hmm. Trask would take a sack. Um, or or the first, the first drive of the game where the failed fourth down conversion. Absolutely. Now, I still don't know what the solution is going to be against the Georgia defense. Maybe Anthony Richardson is the solution on fourth down if they get into that fourth and one in that fourth and one situation. But the point I'm making is Florida's offense is leaps and bounds better than it was last year. Georgia's defense is actually slightly worse. 
And when you factor in who they've played, I mean, obviously Alabama's a big-time opponent, but everybody else, I mean, Tennessee, Kentucky, Mm -hmm. Arkansas, like Auburn even, those aren't teams that you necessarily think of as juggernaut offenses. So, And they're probably going to be missing some pieces, as you said, for this game. Absolutely. And and so, you know, we we shall see. I I, I think I don't want to read too much into the Missouri win because – um, you know, I think all of us were going in going, well, we don't know what's going to happen. Like this, this could be a disaster if the defense comes out and doesn't play very well. And quite honestly, the way the offense played for the first couple, first quarter and a half would have been a disaster if the defense hadn't played well. Um, but the defense did play well. That gives you a little bit of confidence going into this game. But but I tweeted earlier today, like it's amazing how we go from, oh, I'm really worried about our defense against Missouri's offense to bring on Georgia like within a three-hour time span just because uh, because of a little bit of success. Now, obviously, that's it's better than not having any success. But uh, but it, it, it's so funny to see these two teams. They're so diametrically opposite in terms of what they do and who they've got at quarterback and what they've got on the defensive side of the ball. And and so, you know, it's it's exactly what we thought we were going to get early in the year. I don't think, you know, during the offseason, I don't think we thought Florida would probably lose to a and I think we thought Georgia might lose to Alabama. Um, but now we're at a place where the teams are basically even. This is kind of winner-take-all, and, and we're going to find out whether uh, – whether Saban's statement that offense tends to beat good defense these days in college football is actually true. Yeah, that's a segue into you know what we're kind of you know what we're kind of the the title of the episode here. I know it's late getting to it, but I think we needed to talk about everything beforehand to kind of get to this point. Will and man, perfect segue there. I mean, Florida's in familiar territory here. I mean, this is a lot of the same story that we've seen the last couple of years, where Georgia comes in, maybe limping into Jacksonville, Florida kind of having the better thoughts around the country right now. Last year, it's because, you know, you had this Florida offense, and Florida had um, went to Baton Rouge and went toe-to-toe with LSU uh, in a shootout for, for a bit. Georgia had just come off of a South Carolina loss and a very, and excuse me, this sounds familiar, a very lackluster performance versus Kentucky. <laughs> and, you know, so now a little bit different. Both teams have bye weeks last year to, to get ready for the game. Georgia didn't have that luxury that they've taken – so great advantage of uh, the last couple years but I mean Will is familiar man I mean Dan Mullen comes to Florida Florida Georgia is, is top 10 matchups in year one and year two and here we go again year three is a top 10 matchup familiar territory and as you said look we have circled this game since Florida walked off of that field in Jacksonville last year losing by seven you know it, look, this game is always circled don't get me wrong especially for me I mean this is this is this is you, you, earlier you talked about this is the SEC East Super Bowl. This is my Super Bowl. So, but uh, look, I mean, but you know, the nation has circled this game. Everybody pointed to this game. Would this be the year where everything Florida had coming back and the continuity and coaching staff and all the changes going on at Georgia? And then we've seen what those changes have meant for Georgia. They, they're not taking those steps on offense. And as you said, the defense is pretty much the same, maybe a tad worse, but that's kind of nitpicking kind of like, you know, just maybe how we're nitpicking the Florida offense at times. The defense is still, still really, really good for Georgia. Maybe missing some pieces, so people are going to start pointing at that uh, a bit now and giving Florida more of a chance. But here we go, Will. I mean, it's very, very familiar territory than from from what we've gotten the last couple of years. Yeah, I mean, you know, the the difference is is that there's no Jake Fromm, who's yep. just absolutely terrorized Florida over the last couple of years. Um, and and then Kyle Trask last year when we came into this game we still weren't entirely sure what we had we were confident that he was better than 
than we might have thought when Felipe Franks went down based on his performance for LSU. At the same time, the question was, when's he going to turn into a pumpkin or is he going to turn into a pumpkin? It turns out hasn't turned into a pumpkin at all. In fact, he's gotten better this year. And you look at it, he wasn't terrible last year. He was 21 to 33 for 257 yards and two touchdowns. But the thing I think, and this is actually, you know, I always talk about my stat yards above replacement and it factors in quarterback rushing. And the reason it does is that when a quarterback takes a sack, it's, it's usually a drive killer. And so I like factoring that into a quarterback's overall rating because of that. And Trask last year, six rushes for minus 22 yards last year, which tells you what was happening when he was on the ground. It was that he was getting sacked. And so, yeah, he averaged 7.8 yards per throw, which is kind of league average. It's not really that great. So 33 throws, 257 yards. But then when he went back, you know, bad things were happening. There were a couple of sacks that drove Florida out out of field goal range, completely killed drives. Um you know, and those sorts of things happen with young guys playing against fast defenses. The other thing to take note, I, I hadn't really thought about it until I looked at it tonight, but Freddie Swain was the leading receiver. Then you had Kyle Pitts, then Van Jefferson with two catches, Grimes with two catches, then P. Ryan, Cleveland, Hammond, and Pierce had one catch. So the entire offense has just been completely overhauled, and it's still humming compared to what we had last year. Um, you know, it, it's going to be really interesting. And, and then. You know, on the defensive side of the ball, Grenard didn't get to the quarterback at all last year. Zaniga didn't get to the quarterback at all last year. And both of those six- guys were banged up, I think, a little bit going in for that game. Absolutely. But, you know, the defense couldn't get off the field on third down. Mm-hmm. That's been the story for Florida all year long in the first three games. It was a story against Missouri. They were able to do it. And, you know, one of the things is that Florida's offense has been able to stay on the field on third downs. That opening drive against Missouri was something like 12 or 13 plays. You know, they, they settle for a field goal, but at the end of the day, it took a toll on Missouri's defense having to play 12 or 13 plays every time Florida's offense got the ball. To never get a three and out makes a difference. And one of the things we have noticed over the last couple of years is Florida's kept it close heading into the late third, early fourth quarter. You know, two years ago, Felipe Franks hit that bullet over the middle Mm -hmm. for a touchdown to put Florida ahead, then fumbled it later deep in his own territory, and you got that goal line stand. But at the same time, like, Florida was in that game. It just felt like they ran out of gas at the end. I think you can sort of say the same thing last year, is Florida's offense wasn't very good in that game, but they pulled it to a touchdown, and then all of a sudden, Cager gets loose for for the big throw that basically puts the game away. So... And then the last thing is, is last year against LSU and Georgia, Florida had sort of the Will Muschamp drive to end the game when they were down by two scores in both yep. games, where it was like seven minutes to score a touchdown to bring them within seven. That doesn't happen anymore. This team goes up and down the field, three minutes, you know, if in fact Florida's down by, say, nine or ten points late in the game, you still have confidence that the team has the ability to come back. The defense is still going to have to be on edge, still going to be, still going to have to take chances. They can't just sit there and prevent and and let Florida go down the field because Florida's got athletes who, you know, Tony in a prevent defense makes two guys miss, all of a sudden he's off to the races, and that's not necessarily something that they had last year. So I think the teams are very different this year. Um, I think Florida's offense has taken a considerable step forward. But, again, if you go look, granted, Trask 6 for negative 22, but the team overall, 19 rushes for 21 yards, which means they had, what, 13 rushes for 43 yards total mm-hmm. from their running backs and, and wide receivers? That's just not going to get the job done. At some point, Don't you got to say, you know what, we're – yeah, what's the best thing ever for the QB sacks account against rushing yards? <laughs> sure, but I mean it, it doesn't matter. <laughs> so yes, DeAndre Swift himself, better. twenty-five yeah. rushes for eighty-six yards. Florida actually did a pretty good job Modest, of stopping yeah. Swift last year, 
At the same time, 37 rush for 119 yards. That's usually the calling card in this game. Now, some of that's because in the fourth quarter you start running the ball to, to eat clock. But at the same time, the team that the team that wins this game is usually the one that's more physical. It's usually the one that runs the ball. We all remember Brandon Spikes going out and just absolutely demolishing Noshaw Marino in 2008. You know that sort of set the tone for that game. That hey, we're not going to let you run all over us. You know, does Ventrell Miller have that in him? Does James Houston have that in him? Does Amari Bernie have that in him? Um, we're going to see. Yeah, there was that big hit at the beginning of last year. I think Zuniga put uh, Swift on, the, on on his tail early in the game. And that, to me, Will, I, I, I will uh, kind of just going back to a couple points you made there. I, and, I, and I said it earlier, a fast start. It's time for this game for Florida to get off to a, to a better start, not have to fight from behind. And, we, and we've seen this offense come out. Every game so far, and there we go. I mean, we've we've, we've seen them we've seen them score from the get go. Can Florida actually put some pressure on Georgia? The, the pressure's always been Georgia being ahead and trying to hold on to a lead. Can Florida make Georgia fight from behind at any point in the game? They haven't they haven't faced that in this game. Can can Florida make them face that? I'm happy to print out wristbands for this year. <laughs> I will uh, I will make sure the correct things are on the wristbands. I saw you pointing to it. I was looking at the top. I was like, oh, what's going on here? But yeah, yeah, wristbands for sure. I will help. Yeah, you and I can help. If, if that's what it takes, we, we, we will make sure it is, it is correct for this game. But I mean, yeah, but that first drive looked like it was well on its way last year to, to being somewhat successful. And then third and fourth down, you just, you know, you cross midfield, third, fourth down, just go nowhere. Uh, but yeah, a fast start, make, make Georgia fight from behind for once in this game to see if they can handle it. And then, We'll go back to your other point. Florida did such a good job last year holding DeAndre Swift when it looked like all they could do going into that game was, and from the Florida side, us thinking, hey, if Florida stops the run, Florida's going to win the game. Florida stopped the run for the most part. Florida didn't win the game. Yeah, Jake Fromm, as you said earlier, decided to, to, to have another show out versus the Gators. Can they do it again? If Florida stops the run game once again, is there a lot of confidence in Stetson Bennett to be able to replicate anything Jake Fromm has done uh, the last couple of years against this Gator defense? And well, I jokingly here, Stetson Bennett's from my hometown, Blackshear, Georgia. I can't handle that. I can't handle a Florida losing to Stetson Bennett and having to go back home to to Blackshear, Georgia, and face those dog fans that uh, are you know a lot of dear friends of mine. I can't. I can't. I can't take that. Will I don't like losing to Georgia. It, it, it's a. It's a. It's a sour taste in my mouth all the time. But man, put that. Put that with it. I, I'm not going home for a while. Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting. I mean, he came in against Arkansas and really acquitted himself well, right? 20 yep. of 29, 211 yards, two touchdowns. Then against Auburn, he didn't really need to do a whole lot because Auburn just sort of imploded. But 17 of 28, 240 yards, a touchdown. And against Tennessee, 16 of 27, 238 yards and two touchdowns. So, you know, I remember after those first three games, people comparing Stetson Bennett to Kyle Trask and saying, look, their stats are pretty similar. Like, and, and then the last two games have happened. So against Alabama, and again, Alabama's a pretty good team, but 18 of 40, two touchdowns and three picks. And then last week against Kentucky, 9 of 13, 131 yards, no touchdowns and two picks. And I think that's the thing that I want to go back and look at on film is see why is it that Stetson Bennett's throwing interceptions, and is that something that Florida's going to be able to take advantage of? 
I suspect that there's probably been some pressure over the last couple of weeks. I also suspect that he's making bad decisions when he's under pressure. And then I think he's probably also trying to force the ball in a little bit to make some things happen. But his, thir- his height's becoming a problem, too. Well, one of those Kentucky interceptions were another batted ball that we saw so many times against Alabama. They batted a ball and picked it off for an interception. Well, and that is something that for all of the things that you might say about Jake Fromm and, and his ability to, um, you know, to, to not necessarily be the guy to put George over the top, he didn't turn the ball over very much. And Florida has not been able to get Georgia to turn the ball over in these games. Mm-hmm. And Florida has turned the ball over. I mean, you got the fourth down, the fourth down conversion last year that Florida didn't get, which is essentially a turnover. You got the ball that Franks sort of just dropped when he was down on the goal line a couple of years ago. Those are sort of the ones that, that, that come to mind. There was a really awful interception that that Franks threw very, very early in the game against oh, Georgia yeah. two years yeah. ago that turned into a touchdown all of a sudden, or I think it turned into a field goal, but all of a sudden Florida was down like 10 um, you know, To your point, those turnovers, those quick changes of possession, Florida doesn't have a good enough defense to be able to turn the ball over this year. They're going to have to play a clean game on offense. They're going to have to convert when they get down the red zone, make Georgia score touchdowns. I mean, if Florida can get up, say, 17-7, to 20-10, to 20 to something like that, and make Stetson Bennett have to push the ball downfield. I, you know, again, those get those to the quarterback ta- too. They, Fromm wasn't sacked hardly once the last two years. Yeah, but you know that that's actually maybe the silver lining to the weeks off for COVID is that they clearly simplified things against mm-hmm. Missouri. And one of the things they did was they just said, "Hey, front seven, it's up to you. Get pressure." Like we're not going to bring a safety from, from I think Neil Blackman said Micanope in his article today, but I had said Lake City in our chat in our chat. I mean, you know, you're not going to bring. There were times where they were bringing Kyrie Elam off the off the corner. Kyrie Elam is your best corner, your best cover guy. Like leave him in coverage. Stop bringing him on the blitz. You didn't see those corner blitzes. You didn't see anything like that. Now is that because they feel like they didn't need to do it against Missouri and maybe they're going to feel like they need to do it against Georgia? Maybe. And every once in a while bringing a guy off the corner. You know, CJ Henderson yeah. was really good at that that when they had him on the short side of the field, every once in a while they'd bring him. But, you know, when you can't get pressure with your front seven, you have to bring somebody pretty much every play. They didn't have to do that against Missouri. You saw them last year against Fromm. They really were pretty conservative in terms of the blitz, blitzes that they brought. But one of the reasons was exactly what we saw is when they finally brought a blitz there late in the game, you know, Cager was wide open downfield because the, the safeties weren't in the right spot. So, um, you know, I, I don't know that we know what to expect, right? Mm-hmm. That's one of the beauties of, of, of this season and all the weird things that are going on. And, you know, teams are sort of Jekyll and Hyde week to week and, and all that sort of stuff. I know, though, that if you had told me back in July or August, that Kyle Trask was going to have 18 touchdowns through four games and that we would be playing Georgia and Georgia would have Stetson Bennett at quarterback. Yep. I tell you, that's a game Dan Mullen has to win. Like, they're like you know you could say all you want about Kirby running quarterbacks out of out of town, and you look at Ohio State with Justin Fields not throwing any incompletions and absolutely dominating up there at Ohio State, and you know he ran Jake Eason out of town and Fromm didn't necessarily get better and you got Dewan Mathis and you got J T Daniels but you know at the end of the day Stetson Bennett is is a guy whose recruiting profile and high school statistics and and all that sort of stuff do do not indicate that he should be a starting quarterback for a national championship competing team. And so Florida needs to prove that. I mean, Florida needs to go out and, and make him win the game. And the only way they're going to do that is by stuffing the run, getting up 
early and making Georgia throw the ball. And if Georgia has to throw the ball, I think I think that's the worry that Georgia would have. I think Georgia feels like if they can control the line of scrimmage, if they can run the ball, if they can get up seven points, ten points, and make Florida sort of press a little bit because we're not necessarily sure we're going to be able to get a stop on defense, then Georgia feels like they'll probably be able to get a mistake. And I think it's the same way going the other direction, is that if Florida can get up seven points, ten points, something like that, I think Florida feels like they'll be able to make Stetson Bennett make a mistake if they, uh, if, if they press him like that. You know, kind of going back, while, while, before we wrap up here, kind of going back to, to one point that you brought up. It's amazing what one Saturday can do. Yesterday or Saturday morning at 8 a.m., if you were to ask the Gator fan anything about Florida, Georgia, we don't stand a chance. They're going to run the ball down our throats. We can't, you know, we can't keep up. Georgia 14, Kentucky 3, Florida 41, Missouri 17. And now everybody thinks <laughs> everybody's coming back to the Florida side a little bit. Like I said, they're just familiar territories, kind of just the way we've been conditioned the last couple of years of going into this game and, and thinking Florida uh, has a chance to has the chance to pull it off. And as you said, well, this is this is absolutely the best chance. If you was going back, I mean, look, people were picking Florida this year anyway, no matter if it was going to be Jamie Newman, whether it be JT Daniels, whether it be Stetson Bennett. A lot of people were giving Florida credit and picking Florida in this game anyway. Well, now you've got pretty much the same Florida team, but a little bit of worse defense to what you expected. And you got Georgia playing Stetson Bennett, and it, the last couple of games it hasn't looked all that great. It's there. It's there for the taking. And, you know, I don't want to make a lot of injuries for Georgia, but Richard LeCount's definitely going to be out. And, you know, speedy recovery from him for what, you know, seemed to be a, like a pretty bad accident there uh, in, in Athens. But they, they got beat up versus Kentucky. And they had, they, they had some minor injuries going into that game. But their defense got beat up in that game. We'll wait for injury report uh, going along there for Georgia. But, Will, I mean, there are no excuses in this one. I, I don't care. I mean, I, I know we look at and say Georgia – the, probably the best matchup is maybe them running the ball in this Florida defensive front from if you take the season as a whole and, and kind of look at it. But this Florida passing game versus that Georgia defense is, is another matchup. But there's there's nothing else to look at. I mean, you got to you got to get it done. There, there's there's no other way to look at it right now. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, we've been pointing to this game now basically since we left the field from Jacksonville last year. Um, obviously, a lot of crazy stuff has gone on since yeah. then. But you know. I, Mullen's obviously getting a lot of flack for the Darth Vader stuff and for his COVID comments and all that sort of stuff. And I'm not necessarily going to touch on that too much here. But the um, the reality is is that if you want to be like that, and if you want to be maybe tone deaf is not the right word, but if you just want to be aggressive when it comes to your tact with the media and, and the way Mullen has been over the last month, then you got to win these games. And that's sort of what it boils down to. Like, if, if you're a little bit smoother, Spurrier always had sort of like a quip for, for Georgia and sort of poked fun at him. And, you know, everybody was sort of in on the joke. Even Georgia was like, yeah, you can kick our butt. We get it. And, and you know, so Spurrier was sort of folksy and he could drop one every once in a while. Um, you know, we're tired of losing to Georgia. We are. We're, we're yep. tired of losing to Georgia. You don't want to go back to your hometown and have to deal with the fact that Stetson Bennett wins this game. But even if Stetson Bennett wasn't the quarterback, even yeah, if Justin Fields exactly. was the quarterback, you'd be sitting there going, I don't want to go back to Georgia and have to deal with all my <laughs> friends who are talking about this. But that's the deal, right, is that Kirby Smart has proven to be a superior recruiter to Dan Mullen thus far. I think that's pretty clear. What he has not proven to be is a better developer of, of talent especially at the quarterback position that, you know, or at least being able to retain the quarterbacks that he has there. And Um, relative to the talent both, both teams have, honestly. Yeah. Well, and, and it's not as though Florida's chopped liver. I mean, we, we talk about recruiting and we think it's important and we do think that there's a gap between the two teams, but 
quarterback does an awful lot to equalize that. You got a Heisman Trophy candidate as your quarterback. That was completely unexpected, right? A two-star guy out of Texas hadn't started since you know junior high school, and now he's out there playing at a Heisman Trophy level. At a Heisman Trophy level, you've got Kadarius Tony, and you've got Kyle Pitts there on the outside as well, who should be able to get you first downs when you need it. You've got um, you know Mullins should be able to out scheme Kirby Smart, and you know hey maybe maybe Kirby will try a couple of fake punts, and that'll give us an advantage too. But uh, you know well, before you get further, man, <laughs> signing day. 2018, Dan Mullen signs Emory Jones, Georgia signs Justin Fields, and we're getting Kyle Trask versus Stetson Bennett in, in, in 2020. <laughs> well, you know, it, it's interesting because when we were watching, when I was watching the Missouri game, when they brought in Richardson the second time, the time that he fumbled the ball, um, one of the things I was thinking about was this is the perfect time for them to run the little Tebow play. Where uh, that where he hit Lewis Murphy, not the yeah. jump pass, but yeah. where you fake the where you fake the run, and they're gonna if they decide to bring in Emory Jones or Anthony Richardson for the wildcat wildcat play, they're going to get one on one coverage on the outside if they decide they want to fake the fake the run from from the quarterback position. Unfortunately, the guy who's probably best equipped to make that throw is Kadarius Tony. So you do wonder whether maybe they run him back there in the wildcat, mm-hmm. wildcat a couple of times in the first quarter, give him a couple of running plays out of the Wildcat, get those linebackers firing up, and then in the fourth quarter, maybe break that out as a trick play if they really need it. Now, I think if you're Florida, though, on the offensive side of the ball, you kind of hope you don't need that sort of stuff. Exactly. You hope that right. you hope your Heisman Trophy you know, candidate was- quarterback can, can just drive him down the field. We saw that a couple of years ago, you know, Florida, Mississippi State. They had to have that Kadarius Tony type of gadget play because they couldn't get anything going. You needed a wrinkle in that in that game to, to score a touchdown. Yeah, as you said, hopefully it hopefully it doesn't come to that. But if it does, you know it's there. Well, and and those gadget plays loosen up the defense, right? I mean, the, the gadget plays make the defense slow down and really read before they just go flying to the ball. George is going to be jacked to come out here and play this game, regardless of who's on their, who's out there on defense. They're going to have a skilled guy at every position. The question is, are you going to be able to take advantage of a guy who's skilled, who's, who's aggressive, who's really highly energized early in the game, and is flying to the ball? Well, the perfect thing to do then is to make him go in two different directions because he's going to overcommit one way and then maybe you can hit it. So, um, you know, a double move, a flea flicker, uh, you know, something like that where maybe Trask is throwing the ball, but a place where you try to take advantage of the aggressiveness of Georgia is probably a place where you can get seven points cheap early, especially, you know, you mentioned that, uh, that LeCount is going to be out. Um, you know, we, we don't want him to be out. We wish he was there, and certainly we wish him well. But the fact that he is out is relevant. Mm-hmm. Now you've got somebody there on the backside of Georgia's defense who is going to be younger, still very skilled, but not as experienced. And are you going to be able to take advantage of that? Get his breakdown, listeners, as you can tell. We're, we're ready. We're ready. Oh, my God. Is it ready Saturday yet? <laughs> <laughs> we are ready. We are ready. Ah, right, well, man, yeah, that would do it uh, for this episode uh, right here. Uh, I mean, I just want to hit Paul or hit fast forward. Let's get to Saturday. Florida, Georgia. Finally walk out of there with a victory. Yeah, man. So tomorrow is film day. So I am going back go. and I'm going back and watching uh way too much Stetson Bennett tomorrow. <laughs> so uh in the next couple of days y'all see that coming out from from Reading Reaction. But uh um I, I'm not sure I'm gonna be able to contain myself after watching the film and just being like, ooh, we can do this. Ooh, we can do that. Ooh, we can do this. You know, I've watched a lot of Florida film. Normally it's more, what do I think Florida can do? 
against the opposition than it is, mm-hmm. um, you know, than it is necessarily breaking down the tendencies of the opposing team. But but when it's Florida Georgia week, man, all, all stops. Got to watch Georgia and, and tell you what uh, what Florida's defense needs to do to to get a couple turnovers. Yeah, we certainly look at this one different. We certainly do. Just just uh, the, the magnitude of this one. Uh, in a, in a normal year, it, it's always there. But last three years, top ten matchups, and uh, it's 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 only getting bigger. It's only getting bigger. Man, they they drop they drop this one this year. We're gonna have to like do the podcast on Tuesday because I'm not sure I'm gonna be ready to do it by Monday night, buddy. It's like, yeah, hold on, I'm still hungover. Like still. we gotta. <laughs> Hopefully, hopefully that's not the case. Hopefully, we're all in jubilation next time uh, we get together and, and Florida has a victory uh, over Georgia. You can find Will Miles on Twitter at Will Miles SEC and his site readandreaction.com. Will, man, thanks again. And uh, as I said, we're ready. Uh, go Gators, man. Go Gators. Go Gators. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.